This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. This is the Pastor Podcast with Pastor Randy and Pastor Andy. Hello, everybody. I'm Randy Moore. And I'm Andy Payton. It's good to be with you all again this week. Here's what we do with this podcast. Uh, We are pastors at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church, and we review last week's sermon, and we look forward to next week's sermon, and that sure sounds like something that would be for the people of our own church, and it is. It's certainly targeted there. But uh, it's not limited to that. We think that uh, you don't have to be a member of this church or anyone who attends this church to to get something out of the things that we're going to discuss. Would you agree, Pastor Andy? Definitely. I would say that, uh, to use Methodist terminology, we have an open table policy where anyone is welcome uh, to join in and to participate and listen. Yeah, you're more than welcome to, to come in person or to join us virtually. But we think that the things that we deal with here would be beneficial to to anyone, or at least food for thought. Okay, so uh, we've been in the middle of these 25 articles of religion, and um, we're going to continue with that for about 20 more uh, weeks. And this week, we're going to talk about the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation, so you can be thinking about that. But it's become our habit to do something that comes right from uh, John Wesley, and it's a question that both Andy and I are asked when we are examined, um, and that is a lot of times the very first question during one of those kinds of examinations, which is, how is it with your soul? And um, I like that because uh, that really sets the tone for what really kind of becomes a meeting, but it, it, it just says, this is important. We care about the condition of your soul. How is it with your soul? And so I'll ask you first, Andy, how is it with your soul this week? Well, uh, this week, today, I, my soul would be, I'm excited and I'm a little bit anxious because it's the first day back uh, to school for my daughters. And that meant last night we were at Target doing last minute back to school shopping. It also meant that we didn't sleep very good last night because we're all excited about getting back to school today. And then uh, this morning we did the little signs where they talk about like, what's their favorite right. song at six years old? And uh, Ella said that when she grows up, she wants to be a mailer. I think she wants to be like a FedEx or Amazon okay. driver. Okay. And Paigey uh, has been saying that she wants to be a pastor. And so Ooh. that's really humbling. That and is. so I, I guess I, I'm, I'm anxious in the sense I'm excited in a good way because it's first day back to school mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing how the girls' day went. Well, that'd be back. four generations of Peyton's in the ministry or, or more. It'd be. Yeah, before my grandpa, my yeah. dad, myself. Yeah, before generations, and so, and that's what she said to me, Paige. She said, "I want to be a pastor because I want to keep it going." Is is what she said, and um, I just I don't know. It's, yeah. It makes you tear up. You're humbled that you know yeah. because you want to present the ministry, you want to present the faith in such a way where your children want to participate it, yeah. uh, participate in it, and and so right now that's a success for Paige. <laughs> so. That is. Well, as for my soul, um, you know, last weekend I was in school, and I'll just briefly explain maybe the difference between you and me and and, uh, 
who we are as pastors within the United Methodist Church. You're ordained. You went to seminary. You're ordained. You took that time out. You were full-time in seminary. Uh, I'm bivocational. Um, when I entered the ministry, I did not go uh, to seminary. I did not leave my career in television news. And so um, I do something that was really set up again by John Wesley when the church was growing, especially in the in America, and there was a need for people to, to pastor congregations and, and meetings that were going on. Um, they ended up having to use lay people, and then they ended up licensing uh, lay people, and, and that's what I am. And so what I am in terms of my educational process is not seminary. I call it slow motion seminary. I have, I have 12 years to take 20 classes. And so I was in one of those classes last week. And it, when you mentioned this in your sermon on Sunday, that the, the clergy in the Methodist tradition is an educated clergy. And I, I really do appreciate that. That can almost have a ring of elitism to it. But wow, it's so important. And so I had to have a college degree, which I already had. And then I had to get this training, right? And that that is so important. And so I was at one of those classes last week, and that's always, even though it's one more thing on my schedule to have to do, and sometimes that can be difficult, you know, making the schedules, but to get together with men and women like me, most of them who are bivocational and they're pastoring, uh, most of the time, smaller churches and just really doing great work in the church and to renew friendships like that, um, that refreshed my soul. So that, that's, that's where I am. But I'm back now, and, and we're going to go ahead and tackle this topic. Let me read Article 5 in the 25 Articles of Religion. Again, the title is, Of the Sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for Salvation. The Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament of which are of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. We're not going to read it, but then this article would go on to list those books in the Old and New Testament canon. This has some language we're not familiar with in itself. It needs a little bit of uh, translation and interpretation, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a dated paragraph in the sense that it was originally. Uh, Article 5, all the Articles of Religion actually got started in the 1500s. And then what we're reading is John Wesley's kind of re-edit in the 1700s of those articles. And there's a lot going on in the world of the 1500s, especially within Christianity. Um, if you think about it, that's when the Protestant Reformation was starting. And so these articles are, are in a sense, being born out of the Protestant Reformation. And that's important to understand. And so when it's talking about, like, everything necessary for salvation what it's kind of trying to point towards is like sola scriptura which is the great affirmation of the protestant reformers that well we only have the authority of scripture over us and so that's one of the things that's tucked into this article i didn't hit on that on that in my sermon but um it's important to understand like as i say in my sermon um, context is king for scripture but context is in a sense king for some of these articles too they are born 
out of a certain context with a certain story, and they're trying to address uh, certain issues of their time in their day, even while we're trying to apply them in our time in our day as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that these are locked in um, constitutionally, would you say, that they really cannot be changed, and that's why you have it as it exists almost in the original. Yeah, it's in the original language that Wesley would have wrote it. It sounds like the King James Bible, you know, basically, because it's written during that era and that time period. Um, But the thing I've tried to prove throughout this series is like, yeah, it's dated, but there's something timeless in here for us. And as our podcast develops today, I hope, you know, we can kind of unpack some of those timeless things that each article, this article in Scripture specifically, has to teach us. Yeah. So one question might be, what is the Bible, and I'll sort of prime the pump for us a little bit with the way I kind of teach um, in a classroom setting. I say that if you if you take a look at the Bible and you look at one extreme and the other, on the one extreme, you have people that view the Bible as essentially dictation from God. And on the other end, you have people who think that it is a 100% human construct, and I think that we would fall somewhere in, in the middle. Uh, we, I, I think I can speak for you. We've had so many conversations. We have a high opinion, you and I, a high opinion of Scripture. Um, but we're not over there on the, on the extreme that says that it is uh, dictation from God. And we're not on the other extreme where we say it is purely human. Here's, here's what I think is kind of a helpful way of looking at it. And um, I'm going to share an analogy, and all analogies are imperfect, but this one helps me. You know how we talk about how Jesus is fully human and fully divine? The Bible is, in in a sense, fully human and fully divine. It was written by humans, but it was on some level inspired. You know, the the writing of it, the preservation of it, the teaching of it, even today, um, it's both. It it really is both. That's a great analogy, Randy. Like, yeah. It's fully human. It, it is con- it's been written by human beings, but it's also actually fully God in the sense it's been inspired by God. I mean, they're trying to give voice to their experiences of God. And as we read it today and understand it, understand the verses in their own context and what they meant originally, but then we also begin to see how we can understand our own relationship with God as well. Yeah, that's a great analogy, though. Fully God, fully human. And you're right. Um, there's two extremes when it comes to the Bible. Um, there's the one group that says, like, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, period. And then there's the other group that seem to be ready just to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And and then there's a significant portion of us that are kind of in between. And I think we're both in the in-between category uh, when it comes to Scripture and how to approach these kinds of conversations. I really liked your opening illustration, and you warned me ahead of time that you were going to use this illustration, and you made a comparison between uh, the way people choose the news program uh, that they're going to watch, and you compared that to the way people choose to interpret Scripture and to attend churches or to follow people who interpret Scripture in a, in a certain way. And for those who don't know, I'm a television news anchor. I have been for many uh, decades. But I, I thought it was an apt illustration of the way people approach these two things. Yeah. In my opening illustration, I essentially said you can tell a lot about a person these days from where they get their news. And basically, it's not even news at all because a lot of times what happens is that people 
they see what they want to see, they hear what they want to hear. And if it doesn't happen on that particular channel, whatever it may be, they just turn the channel. <laughs> and I've noticed the same thing happening um, in religion. A lot of times people, they have their preconceived notions, they have their preconceived lens about what should be said and presented on a Sunday morning or in a class. And as long as they get it, everything's good. But the moment something goes, some something that is said goes against what they've been taught or what they assume is right, um, they shut down on you and they turn the channel. And um, the big point of the illustration, though, is that we really all have a lens, though, of how we're, when we go to the Bible or even look at religion, we have a lens of how we're looking at it, how we see it. And the big, the big thing that needs to happen for all of us is that we just simply become aware of what our lens is. And that's a big part of what the spiritual formation process entails is becoming aware of whatever our lens is and, and making sure that it's consistent and it's faithful. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, how we got the Bible. You took up this topic in your sermon. And again, some people, and this is not a criticism, this, you know, not everybody is, you know, all that familiar with the Bible, and some might think that it's one book written by one author, but it, it, the Bible is really a library of books written over a thousand years, and so it's uh, it's not one that has um, one author at one time, and so that in and of itself speaks of the variety of uh, material that we that we have in the Bible. So, just briefly um, comment on that and and how we got the Bible as it exists today. Well, that's just a simple little question you asked me there, Randy. Um, in my sermon, and in a sermon, it's so difficult to take on a, a, a question like that, uh, like this, just as it is, it's so difficult to, to take on a question like in, like this in a podcast. But um, essentially, a lot of what we have in the Bible, though, ha- has been written and came about over the course of like a thousand years at least. And I'm just roughly speaking um, I mean, it could be a little bit shorter or a bit longer in terms of the time period. But the point is that what we call Scripture today really evolved over a period of time. A lot of the stories we see in Scripture, I believe, um, began as oral traditions. This was an oral, oral culture. Antiquity was an oral culture. Most people couldn't read. And I think that needs to be pointed out that this was not a literate culture. And so they told stories and retold stories and Eventually, those stories were written down, and then over time, certain documents emerged that became what we call canonical, and the word canonical comes from a Latin word, which means like rule, and so the the church designated certain documents as a rule, and they had authority in terms of faith and practice, and long story short, what we call the Christian Bible today wasn't really adopted till about the year, I think it was 382 AD. Now, put that into perspective. Um, the last document that we have in the New Testament was finished probably around the year 12150. Mm-hmm. So about 150 to 200 years passed by until we finally decide this is the canonical list of documents we call Scripture. It was adopted in the Council of Rome. Now, I mean, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, <laughs> but when Protestants think about the Bible... What we call the Bible, the canonical list that we use, wasn't really officially adopted until the 1500s after the Protestant Reformation. Now think about that. We've only had scripture, so to speak, for the last 500 years, really um, in a form that people can read 
and share with one another. Um, we didn't have the printing press until around the 1500s, and that's the big shift in technology that leads us to the point where we're able to read scripture for ourselves. And so I think all that stuff is very important to consider when we're talking about scripture. And in my sermon, I mentioned, you know, people hear me talking about like scripture being oral tradition and immediately someone's going to think, well, is the Bible even true? And I'm going to say, well, of course it's true. And some of it really happened. And I think it's important that we separate truth from factuality. There's some stories that are kind of parabolic or like a parable throughout scripture and we can look at them that way and some people are going to look at the stories of scripture in a more symbolic way other people are going to look at scripture in a more literal way um and so um all that goes into scripture it's a it's a complicated uh topic just to say it lightly it it really is and so before the protestant reformation and before the printing press the the church uh interpreted what the scripture was through the magisterium and so when um, the common people got their hands on the book, that meant the situation opened up to the point where now everybody gets to have an interpretation of Scripture, which is a good thing on the one hand, but then because you have so many, that, that results in many denominations and it circles us right back around to the other thing we're talking about. It's almost like it's a la carte. You can just choose which one you know, is, more, is, is your favorite. So, uh, yeah, it's a complicated it's a complicated thing. So here's another one. If that wasn't a difficult enough qu- uh, question to answer uh, succinctly or briefly, what about this one? What does the Bible say? <laughs> what does it say? What is it? I'll, I'll add. What does it say about itself? <laughs> okay. um, and so uh, the first thing I would point out what the Bible says about itself in terms of the will of God. Bible says a lot of things, but I'm going to really focus it. Um, in terms of the will of God, the Bible actually says we don't have to have it in order to know the will of God. And now I know that might come across as, as crass or even radical, but um, in my sermon, one of the passages I quote is from the Apostle Paul, who essentially says in Romans 1.20, if, you know, if you're a listener you want to look it up, Romans 1.20 basically says, Paul, Paul says, um, look at the world. And even though God's presence is invisible, you can see essentially what God's character and God's will is just by looking around at the world. And, and that should really be good news to us because, well, the world's much older than the Bible itself. As I mentioned, we've only had the Bible as Protestants for about 500 years. The universe, the universe is like 26 billion years old. And I know the earth's not quite that old, but the point is God has been speaking much longer than simply um, through this book. That's not to say that the Bible is not helpful, though, because it certainly is. Um, when we think about what God's will is for our lives, uh, the scripture is there to help us and guide us in terms of, put simply, how to live our lives very well. Uh, the text, uh, the scripture that gets used a lot is from Second Timothy. It says all scripture that is inspired by God um, is useful for training, correction, and to kind of point us in the right path. And and certainly when we're trying to discern God's will for our lives, it is helpful to have a book like Scripture to point us in the right direction. And, and that's the goal um, of Scripture is to try to find our way into a relationship with God, which is the primary purpose for Scripture. As the article says, it's sufficient for salvation. What is salvation? Well, I would describe salvation as the experiential knowledge of the love of God. Um, the Bible, more than just being a rule book, 
is a good news book that is there to help remind us of God's love for our lives and to encourage us to live our lives in tune with that love that's always within our lives. Yeah, I'll back up just a second because if Andy's paraphrase of those two scriptures is not sufficient for you, I'll just go ahead and read it from the NRSV. Romans 1.20 says, Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been seen and understood through the things God has made, so they are without excuse. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And a lot of people will quote that to say that the entire uh, Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, um, falls under this. But of course, um, 2 Timothy, um, the writer of 2 Timothy wasn't thinking about the New Testament. It was being written at that, at that very moment. And we might say... Paul probably, well, he might have. We, we don't know, but he, it's likely he wasn't thinking he was writing Scripture when he was writing those letters. Those are very personal and occasional and pointed. Um, uh, and so what's being spoken of here is the Old Testament, which we're going to get to next week. So uh, another fascinating thing to consider. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. That verse is a lot of times used and applied to all of Scripture as we know it today, but clearly the intent of the author was they were talking about the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament. Um, and that's that's a big thing to point out with that particular passage. A lot of times, it, you know, that someone that wants to support a certain theological um, agenda when it comes to Scripture, like the term is inerrancy. You kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, inerrancy says the Bible is without error. They will say, well, see, the Bible says that. It's right here. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's inerrant. Well, that's not exactly what it's saying. And um, well, I think what it's suggesting, though, is uh, the Bible, even as our article suggests, is there to help guide us in terms of our own relationship with God. It has everything that you need in terms of understanding what it means to live our lives in right relationship with the holy. And as long as we keep that as our focus, I think, well, there's going to be room for disagreement, but we can, in a sense, keep our, our eyes on the main thing. Yeah. I think your sermon sort of came to its pinnacle with this question. You've already started um, answering this to a degree, but the question was, what is the lens through which we view the Bible? And you said that, and that's helpful too. Whatever the lens you have, to have a lens is helpful, but we're interested in a particular lens as Christians. Absolutely. The lens is Jesus Christ. And um, in the script, in in my, in my sermon, um, I noted what Jesus' approach to Scripture was. He was once asked, what's the most important commandment? And every Christian knows the story. Jesus says, of course, he quotes the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Jesus says, you love your neighbor as yourself. And so what does Jesus tell us in that moment? But we look at the Scriptures through the lens of love. And if it's leading us towards love, it's leading us in the right direction. If it's leading us away from love... We're moving in the wrong direction. And well, I think that really um, addresses a lot of issues and it clears a lot of things up. But I will still maintain um, the Bible is not a rule book that has been given to us to tell us to love as much as it's a good news book that was given to us to teach us of God's love for us. Because we all fall short when it comes to even love. We all fall short 
And I don't know about you, Randy, but I need to be reminded that God's love is steadfast and there's nothing that can separate me and you from the love of God that's given to us in Christ. Absolutely. You closed um, with a story, as you often do, and the story was uh, connected to the passing of, of your father just a few weeks ago and a story that came from E. Stanley Jones, and I'll, I'll just let you retell that story. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, Dr. E. Stanley Jones is some, somebody that's near and dear to my family and to, as a result to my heart, too. He was a big name in Methodism about 100 years ago. Um, he was described as Mr. Methodist even back in the day. Um, a little side note about East Stanley Jones. He was actually elected to be a bishop in the Methodist Church at one point. Legend has it he turned it down because he felt so compelled to his mission as being his mission and his calling as a missionary. And he spent much of his time his ministry in India. He was a personal friend of Gandhi. He was actually a person that also had. Um, relationships with the presidents of the United States, like President Roosevelt and people like that. And so anyway, he's a big name. But the reason I like him is because my grandmother loved him. Um, And she went to some of his um, gatherings and revivals and read some of his books. And so when she passed away, she gave me some of those books and I've read them and reread them. But in my my sermon, I tell a story that's really one of my favorites. Um, East Stanley, one morning's listening uh, praying contemplatively, really, instead of talking to God, he's listening to God, and and he has a sense that God says to him, "He's nailing your mind. Life is yours." And he's kind of shocked by it, as any of us would be, and ask God again, "Well, what was that again?" And God says, "Your mind, life is yours." And and the gist of what God says to him that day is, "It's not that life always goes our way, but as Christians, we believe because God is with us." Um, there's always some good that can be rescued out of the things that happen to us. And um, in my sermon, I, I essentially end by saying, um, that's what grown-up faith looks like. That's what grown-up uh, biblical faith looks like. It doesn't always go our way, but um, we seek to bring good out of it, and we seek to trust in God's love anyway in the midst of all the ups and downs within our lives. And certainly that applies to the situation that I've experienced with my father recently, but we've all had moments where we struggle, we have doubts, things don't work out, and we need to be reminded of that. You are mine, life is yours, and there is some good to be found even in the midst of things that happen that that hurt us. You shared uh, the kind of wisdom there that uh, even at your age, that usually takes until you get to be about my age uh, to have, but uh, you're going through these experiences, and they're not all good. They're not all happy. They're not all joyful. But still, in the midst of that, God is good and God is present. Yeah. yeah. Well, a moment I really think about and I've thought about recently quite a bit in my own life lately has been at the beginning of my dad's journey with cancer. My mom and I um, were kind of having a side conversation, as happens in these kinds of seasons in our lives. And I, I remember saying to my mom, Mom, it's our job to allow God to love us through this, no matter what might happen. And it's our job to be looking for those signs of God's love along this journey to keep us going. And as I look back at that moment, I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> and I think maybe the Holy Spirit was working through me in that moment because, yeah, I mean, 
that's the way through, is to stay focused on those signs of that steadfast love of God that's always there. Um, that's what we're looking for when we open the pages of Scripture. And it's really teaching us how to look for it as we open, to the, open the pages of our own lives as well. Yeah. And your willingness to be uh, generous with those stories in the, in the congregation has benefited the, the congregation greatly. So thanks for doing that. I know it's not easy. In the last couple of minutes that we have, we're going to preview uh, the next article that will be coming up next week. And that's Article 6. We're staying with the scripture. This is of the Old Testament. We'll just do a bit of a preview. We don't want to give away the, the entire sermon, but here's how it's defined. The Old Testament is not contrary to the New, for both in the Old and New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind by Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man, being both God and man. Wherefore, they are not to be heard who feign that the old fathers did look only for transitory promises, although the law given from God by Moses as touching ceremonies and rites doth not bind Christians, nor ought the civil precepts thereof necessity be received in any commonwealth. Yet notwithstanding, no Christian whatsoever is free from the obedience of the commandments which are called moral. I'm going to need a second cup of coffee and some time with that one. Well, Pastor Randy, you read that with uh, so much eloquence. Um, as I've been looking at that paragraph this week, I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this? But uh, here's a preview for what I'm going to be talking about this upcoming weekend. Uh, the God of the Hebrew Bible is the same as the God of the Christian Bible. It's the same God. And uh, we as Christians don't just throw away the Hebrew Bible, just as we as Christians don't believe in throwaway people. We, we believe Christ can be found in all places, in all things, in all people. And uh, that's kind of what I'm going to be focusing on as I think about what's the relationship with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and what can that teach us about our own relationship with God today? Okay, very good preview for that. And don't be frightened away uh, by the Old Testament. If I'm honest, uh, I default when I preach and I look at the lectionary lessons, I almost always default to the New Testament and even within the New Testament with the gospel. But there are so much to be gained by reading those scriptures from, from the Old Testament. Sometimes I think it's because we spend more time in the New Testament that we're not as familiar with them. But dive on in. I mean, it's it, it's good. Okay, Pastor Andy, thanks a lot. And thank you for listening. This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 8.30 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.